board vessels, I was ignored, my thoughts wrestled. Distress denim, addendum, and alterations from altercations in case you get lost in the block's echo. Make your heart race, race like it's laced in your nasal. Was in a dark space, wait, but I'm anxious and hasteful. Labeled as argumentative, all cynics get flogged with the taste you must embrace when you face an azazel. Amazing grace, my country has two faces. Blacks get more time for equal or less cases. Case in point, in case you encase in a raceless shell. Conversations are basis if you base the raise in a cell. Seldom seen, but seldomly satisfied. Every stat aside, I sat inside and sat inside Saturated and sabotaged, every rap's a barrage I lack less than cluster of busters, you pass as gods Satan Matrix Warren has been listening to too much rap music Need to play some Alan Watts right now For some deep thoughts makes pots out of clay. 
So we think of all the various things in the world, the mountains, the stars, the trees, people and so on, as being made out of some stuff. But as we know from our own science and as the old Buddhist philosophers knew in earlier times, we can perfectly well give an account of this world, describe it and talk about it in terms of form alone without ever having to introduce the concept of stuff. And that's only a difficult idea for us to understand because we have fixed habits of thought that make it seem strange to us when we try to clarify it. And that's only a difficult idea for us to understand because we have fixed habits of thought that make it seem strange to us when we try to clarify it. Now this involves another idea that is common to all schools of Buddhism, which again, for the same reason, is difficult to understand. And this is called in Sanskrit, the doctrine of An-Atman, A-N-A-T-M-A-N. And that means non-ego. That is to say, the doctrine that the feeling that we have of being I, a thinker behind thought, an experiencer behind experience, a feeler behind our feelings, and a sensor behind our sensations. That feeling is agreed by all schools of Buddhist thought to be an illusion. But you see, this immediately surprises us because it seems to be one of the most common sense feelings we could have. Not simply that I am I in the sense that I am my whole physical organism and body, but also to feel that there is some kind of permanent entity or center of consciousness inside the body, receiving all its experiences and being the main director of its actions, sitting in the body as it were like a chauffeur inside an automobile or as if we had some sort of little man inside our heads. And so it does seem a fundamental, commonsensical idea that we, as ego, as I myself, as the knower, the little man inside the head, am a sort of screen upon which life is constantly writing a pattern. And we develop from this the fear that uh, the writing of life upon the screen uh, may wear the pattern out in the same way, for example, as if I were to write here upon the sand and uh, begin to trace patterns in it. Now, as I go on writing, the sand begins to be scattered. And so in the same way, we have, as it were, the impression that the constant motion of life is wearing out the conscious knower, the ego. And therefore, we develop a kind of resistance to experience. that happens to us, that 
we have. Or would it be more accurate to say that there is simply a process of experiencing? Again, the Buddhist philosophers of ancient India had realized something which we can perhaps see even more clearly as a result of our own scientific investigations of just what perception is in terms of our own nervous system. And it's rather simple to talk about this whole problem, shall we say, in terms of neurology. And this is not to say that our consciousness, our minds, are nothing but nerves, because that sounds like a kind of materialism. We have to understand that we don't know, as it were, what the nerves are in terms of some kind of material substance or mental substance. We can think of our nervous system simply as a pattern. Now, the important point to realize first is that all that we see in terms of an outside world, our color, texture, shape, and so on, is going on inside our heads, going on inside our nervous system. So that when we, say, touch something and feel that it's hard, what we are actually experiencing is not so much the outside thing. It's true, the stimulus is coming from the outside world to our body. But what we actually feel and experience as hardness is a particular activity or process going on inside our nervous system. So that we could say, all of our experience of the external world is felt directly only as an experience of the nervous system. And even that, in a way, is not quite correct. Because when I say an experience of the nervous system, that what we are experiencing is a state of our nervous system, this still isn't a simple enough way of talking about it. Because it sounds again as if there were, behind the nervous system itself, an experiencer. What we have to try and get clear is that our sensations are processes in the nervous system and that those processes are us. The self is the process of sensation. In other words, there isn't a center behind sensation. When we have a sensation, we don't have it, we are it. And so it helps then, if first of all, we could think of the nervous system as being a pure pattern, something like the one I'm going to draw. I'm going to draw a pattern in four stages of its movement.
please. Yeah. Patent like it, which, as it were, represents the former state of the patent. In other words, the former state of this patent was this. And so, to record that former state, it has this in it. And then as we shift along, the whole pattern changes to this shape. We find inside a sub-pattern or subsection of the pattern, which is uh, representing this one. And of course, it represents the first one as well. And so when we finally come over here and the pattern has shifted to this shape, here is a pattern inside it, which represents this pattern. And so this ability of a pattern to contain elements which represent its former states is what we call memory. In engineering language, we would call it feedback because feedback is the system whereby any system of energy is enabled to record the results of its own action so that upon that record, it can, as it were, make plans for the future. It can, in other words, correct its action. And so because human beings have memory, the capacity of the pattern of the nervous system to record its former states. The human being can make predictions about the future and so, in general, control its activity. But from this extraordinarily marvelous ability, there arises a certain, I could call it, confusing byproduct. And that is the feeling that there is as it were, a constant entity, like the screen of Sam that I was drawing on a little while ago. In other words, uh, because the permanence, a certain element of permanence runs through these changing patterns, this permanent behavior of the pattern, or permanently repeating behavior of the pattern, gives the impression of some substantial mind stuff or mind entity underlying the pattern and upon which the pattern is recorded. It's the same sort of illusion that arises when, for example, I would take a flashlight and rotate it in the dark. And you would see, uh, in the ordinary way, a continuous circle of light. Actually, this won't quite perfectly come through upon the television camera. But something uh, interesting and analogous to what happens to us does come through. We'll see the light leaves a track behind it. And in the same way, the moving light leaves a track upon the retina of the eye. And that is what gives us the illusion of seeing a constant circle of fire. And so a similar illusion arises from the repetitive pattern of the nervous system. And thus gives us the impression, you see, that there is this constant thing, the experiencer, who, as it were, lasts, endures like a substance from the past, through the present, to the future, but at the same time has, as it were, to protect itself against being worn out by experience. And so, gradually, we come to develop within ourselves a resistance to what we are experiencing. And this comes about not only because we are, as it were, afraid of being worn out, but also because the uh, problem of control constantly arises. That is to say, we 
as to whether our predictions are going to work out. And therefore, we tend to get overcautious, over-questioning as to whether our acts are exactly right or exactly wrong, whether our thoughts about them are exactly right or exactly wrong. And as a result of this, our resistance to experience builds up. And all this does is to make the whole system, the whole flowing of the pattern, operate not more efficiently, on the contrary, but stickily. That is to say, supposing uh, when I write, I resist my own action of writing. And instead, in other words, of drawing a smooth line in a perfectly straightforward like, way like this, I start resisting my own movement and go... a kind of chronic shakiness which we call anxiety when we start resisting our own process of feeling too much and as a result of that resistance we get not only chronic anxiety but a chronic feeling of frustration and then in other words we feel well uh, something's got to be done about this too and what does that lead to, though? It just leads to more of the same kind of thing. If, in other words, we identify ourselves with this permanent and purely uh, illusory ego substance that isn't really there, we're identifying ourselves with something abstract. We get from this a sense of a kind of voidness, a kind of hunger, which is not physical but psychic. And that we develop a greed for events, for more and more experience, more and more time, and yet at the same time we know that the more we experience and the more we live, it's going to wear us out. And so from this kind of uh, resistance to life, it leads to further resistance and thus to a vicious circle, which in Buddhist philosophy is called by this important term in Sanskrit, S-A-M. S-A-R-A. Samsara, it's pronounced. Samsara. And although samsara is represented in uh, popular Buddhist philosophy as a process of the individual being reincarnated into this world again and again and again and again so long, that, so long as he has attraction for it. The real meaning of the circle, the going round and round, is precisely the vicious circle which arises through a resistance to life which builds up into further resistance. Now we can demonstrate this in rather an interesting way because just as this as it were is an attempt to split the human mind apart and turn it back on itself, so we could create a situation in the television circuit whereby we turn the television circuit back onto itself. Now you're going to see something which is nothing wrong with your television set. Don't try and turn the knobs and put it right. What we've done here is to turn the camera on to the television screen. And this sets up, first of all, a series of screens beyond screens beyond screens. And then it begins to jangle and fluctuate and wave. And you get all kinds of repeated uh, patterns going sort of like that. And that is 
just exactly what happens to our minds. When we develop excessive self-consciousness, that is to say, an excessive sensation of difference between the experiencer and the experience, and try to make the one latch onto the other completely and control it. When, in other words, the experiencer resists experience, that's not what really happens. What really happens is simply that the whole pattern of our consciousness, of our nervous system, gets sticky and begins to jangle on itself. And under such conditions, that is to say, for example, when we are worrying about worrying and uh, worrying about worrying about worrying and that sort of thing, life becomes an intolerable burden. And we say, well, let's get out of it. Well, let's get out into the garden. of a courtesan. It may seem surprising that 
a bodhisattva, a great sage, manifests in the figure of a courtesan. This idea is not to be taken exactly literally. What it means is that the courtesan represents, as it were, the most worldly of the world, and therefore represents the life, the nature, the experiencing that human beings are constantly afraid of. The bodhisattva is not afraid, but assumes this form, uh, symbolic, and therefore represents the whole attitude of as it were, overcoming life by not escaping from it, but by accepting it completely and profoundly. Through, of course, the discovery that it doesn't have to be accepted. There is no one separate from it to do the accepting. And so there is an ancient Buddhist verse which says, suffering alone exists, no one who suffers. Deeds alone exist, but no doer thereof. The path there is, but no one who treads it. Nirvana, that is to say, release exists, but no one who attains it. So you may ask then, well, what is this all? If there are deeds but no doer, experiencing but no experiencer, what is reality? What is life? After all, we always thought we knew what pattern was by contrast with stuff, substance with form. But now the contrast has disappeared. We are left with the deed alone, no agent, the form alone, no stuff. What do we have? What Buddhist philosophy calls shunyata, the empty void. Void not because there's nothing there, but because our mind has no idea of it. Matrix Awareness, that was Alan Watts, the little man in your head. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Farina from Satanic Matrix Awareness. I just wanted to thank everyone for tuning in, listening, and uh, supporting this podcast. If you could please send any donation, any amount to this podcast, that'd be greatly appreciated. I don't make any money at all from this uh, Anchor podcast. It's maybe uh, three cents to ten cents per day, honestly. So anything you guys can contribute for me putting the truth out there and sharing my story with you is greatly appreciated. Thank you.